0: Would you turn with me in the Scriptures to the last prophecy in the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. And we're going to start at verse 17 of chapter 2 and go through verse 5 of chapter 3. It talks about the day of judgment. Malachi chapter 2 beginning at verse 17. Through chapter 3, verse 5, where we read these words, You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he's pleased with them or where is the god of justice see i will send my messenger who will prepare prepare the way before me then suddenly the lord you are seeking will come to his temple the messenger of the covenant whom the des- whom you desire will come says the lord almighty but who can endure the day of his coming who can stand when he appears For he'll be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The passage always makes me think of the Messiah and the bass who sings the song about who can endure the day of his coming you haven't heard the Messiah, you should be hearing it. It's a wonderful piece of music and reminder of the whole entire Bible story and the story of Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Aesop, the famous fable writer, told one called The Fox and the Lion. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I'll tell it to you. Aesop wrote, When first the fox saw the lion, he was terribly frightened and ran away and hid himself in the wood. Next time, however, he came near the king of beasts, he stopped at a safe distance and watched him pass by. The third time he came near one another they came near one another the fox went straight up to the lion and passed the time of day with him asking him how his family were and when he should have the pleasure of seeing him again And then turning his tail he parted from the lion without much ceremony And you know that Aesop always had the moral of the story And the moral of the story of this particular one is familiarity breeds contempt. I wonder if Aesop had the prophecy of Malachi in mind as he wrote his fable. Fear of God? Familiarity with God? Ah, who cares about God anymore? At first, distance, reverence, familiarity to the point of not even thinking God has any role to play in life anymore. Throughout the Old Testament, this story of Aesop kind of plays itself out. Throughout the Old Testament, there are stories of when God's people kept their safe distance and stood in awe of the Lord or were terribly frightened of God as the fox of the lion. In fact, the Jews of the Old Testament did not even dare utter God's name, and so they spoke about Yahweh using a word without any vowels to refer to God. And you may remember when the cloud settled over the tabernacle or the temple or on the mountain at the time of the giving of the Ten Commandments signifying God's presence, no one dared come anywhere near the Holy of Holies in the temple was off limits to people with the exception of the high priest who could enter once a year on behalf of the people. And then when he went in, he usually went in with a rope tied around his ankle just in case something to happened to him because if something happened to him, no one dared to go into the presence of the Lord and they would just pull him out by the rope. No one can just come into the presence of the Lord, all these stories told us, and come out alive. And remember when Moses went up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, he stood in the presence of the Lord, God allowed him to do that, and then when he came down and back to the people, his face shone with the brilliance of God's majesty, so much so that he had to cover it with a veil because people couldn't stand the presence of a holy God. So there were many times in the Old Testament when Israel trembled in the presence of the Lord God, quite aware that he was not safe, that he was holy, mighty, the creator, the king. And there were numerous times in the Old Testament that Israel's kings and the Lord's enemies trembled in the presence of the Lord. But at the same time, there were other times when they didn't seem to even care what God thought or they didn't even seem to know that he existed. There were times when they took him for granted and gave him no respect, much like the fox and the lion. There were new, There's numerous stories throughout the Old Testament that tell us that God did some great deed for the people destroyed the enemy like Egypt in the Red Sea. He provided water and food such as water from a rock and manna from the sky to mention but a couple instances. And at first the people were awed, but before long it was no big deal anymore. They grumbled and rebelled and sinned and disobeyed. God said that he was the only God. And at first the people said, yes, you are the only God, but then Israel throughout the Old Testament prostituted themselves with other gods. And then there were all those kings of Israel and Judah who ignored the fact that they were anointed to represent the kingship of God. Instead, many did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and didn't live up to their calling at all. Numerous stories throughout the Old Testament tell us that there were times when familiarity bred contempt, and the people were not in the least impressed by God or even thought of what it meant to reverence Him. And then over the centuries and into today, the stories continue. We're now in Advent, we're called upon to live in anticipation of the coming of the Lord. And this morning, Pastor Brian brought us to Luke 21 and the inconvenient words that Jesus spoke, calling us to be alert and to be prepared and watching for his return. And we were reminded, if you were here this morning, we were reminded not to um, be dull, but to be sharp and to keep our wits about us, lest the dissipation, drunkenness, and anxieties of life overwhelm us, as Jesus said. Or as Eugene Peterson puts it, lest we get dulled by parties and drinking and shopping. We're about to celebrate Christmas in a few weeks. And I can't help but wonder how many people approach Christmas with a certain amount of, "Oh, here we go again and then are dulled by parties and drinking and shopping, rather than approaching Christmas with true excitement because of what it's all about, and with a certain amount of fear and trepidation because of what it points to, namely the return of Christ. I suspect that most people approach Christmas with more of a sense of, here we go again, and... If there's any dread, it may be about the heavy expectations for being together. Oh, we got to figure this out. We have to be at so-and-so's house, and then we have to be there, and we have to go to this party, and they've got to be there, and I can't miss. Or the dread is about what gifts am I going to buy? Or what about the debt that we're going to experience from yet another overindulgent season. How are we going to handle that? Now, I dare say some, such some of these things because of what we experience each Christmas again. And we go through this every year. Every year we go through the same thing. And I wonder about it. Some of you have called me a Grinch, and I I know that's kind of there. But Even now, we experience the following. I mean, just picture this for a moment. You know this as well as I do. In various stores, people are filling up their carts with all sorts of items, put it on a credit card, and the music will go from what child is this to Frosty the Snowman to Silent Night, Holy Night to Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer to Hark the Herald Angels Sing. To I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas, to Angels We Have Heard on High, to Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, and so on, as if all the songs were on par one with another. Again, like in the past, it's all just background noise. I distinctly remember one Christmas in a particular store when I was still going to stores before Christmas that the shoppers were exhorted to come and adore him, Christ the Lord, come to the courtesy desk for customer service, as if Christ the Lord were at the courtesy desk for the staff member to worship. In the light of what the Lord told the people of Israel in the prophecies of Isaiah and Amos about hating empty feasts and worship. And in the light of what the Lord tells the church in Laodicea about being lukewarm and therefore being spewed out of their mouth, and if we consider what Jesus did to the money changers and the sellers who had set up shop in the temple, we can probably conclude pretty quickly that the Lord would probably wouldn't be terribly pleased with the misuse of his name in the carols and the biblical references that blast around in the midst of a consumeristic place. I remember, too, yet at a local mall, being invited, into the general public was invited to come and shop there, and also to come and meet Santa at certain hours, and the background news for the ad was, oh, come all you faithful. It obviously didn't fit, but it was merely used as a jingle, because that's, after all, a jingle that people associate with Christmas. And for many, the message of the songs and the biblical references even read at, Christmas, at public events is mute. None of them seem to really speak. They're merely part of what the traditional Christmas is about. It's Christmas, therefore we do read all this stuff and we do all this stuff. And so for tradition's sake, they are included. Which makes one wonder if we're dull, if we have become dull to the real full meaning of Advent. Certainly all of this sorts of things reminds me of the indictment that the Lord laid on his people, Israel, in Jeremiah 5. Hear this, you foolish and senseless people who have ears or eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Should you not fear me, declares the Lord? Should you not tremble in my presence? And then the Lord goes on to explain that the reason there ought to be fear and trembling is because, after all, he is the creator, God. Norman Rockwell has a print of a sales girl at the end of the last shopping day before Christmas slumped over a counter, gasping, who can stand another Christmas? Malachi asks a much tougher question. Who can stand when he appears? Who can stand When Christmas truly comes, indeed. As Malachi spoke the word of the Lord, he proclaimed that the Lord was coming. Jesus, the Messiah, was coming. But in the same breath, he asked a couple of rhetorical questions. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? And the answer is kind of a no-brainer. No one. That's a frightening thought. When Christmas comes and Jesus truly comes, who can stand? No one. We don't think of Christmas that way. The questions of Malachi 3, verse 2, echo the words or questions found in Psalm 130, verse 3. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who can stand? Against the, again, the answer is, of course, no one. Because the biblical testimony is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All stand condemned. And if it hadn't been for the saving work of Jesus Christ, all would be lost, cut off for all eternity. That's a sobering thought and a sobering truth. You know, we sometimes tend to think that Advent involves only these four weeks prior to Christmas. But actually, We're always in the Advent season, for we are anticipating the return of Jesus, who will come like a thief in the night, at a moment when we least expect it to happen. And the words and the warnings of Malachi did not only foresee the birth of Jesus, but also his return and the coming of the fullness of the kingdom. And so even now and in the weeks and months to come, the message of repentance and faith is appropriate and must be proclaimed. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Forget Frosty the snowman. Jesus is coming. And who can stand when he appears? Actually, no one. But by grace, those who believe and are cleansed from all their sins will endure and stand. In the days when Malachi lived, the people of Israel had returned from their exile in Babylon. They had rebuilt Jerusalem and the temple, and they had managed to reclaim some of the land. Under the leadership of such men as Ezra and Nehemiah, the people once again worshiped the Lord. They joined together, earnestly praying that the Lord would fulfill his promises to them by sending the Messiah. O come, O come, Emmanuel, they prayed. But as time went on and nothing happened and no Emmanuel showed up, the people became disenchanted with the Lord. The glorious future that they had envisioned with the rebuilt Jerusalem was not coming to be. As a result, the people became ritualistic in their faith. They just kind of went through the motions. It didn't seem to mean much to them anymore. They went through motions much like many people seem to be doing today by having their names on church rolls but never attending, going to church maybe Christmas or Easter, or perhaps getting married or buried by a preacher in a church, or having their children baptized even though for the rest the church doesn't mean a thing to them. And all of that's done more out of superstition than anything else. They're empty rituals, really, when it comes down to it, if there's no true faith. It became so bad with Israel, they went to so far as to declare in chapter 3, verse 14, it's futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out His requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? Maybe that's why some have left the faith. What is there to gain by going to church week after week and going through all this stuff? Nothing seems to be happening. Nothing seems to be changing. The people in Malachi's day had their faith, and that faith seemed to serve no purpose. They doubted that the Lord loved them and that His covenant promises were of any use. The priests also became careless and became unfaithful to the Lord in their service of Him. And against the express commands of the Lord, the people intermarried with the heathen of the land, and they began to worship false and foreign gods. And all this intermarrying with others and this worship of idols, the Lord God considered adultery on the part of his people. And such an adulterous lifestyle, such a disobedient lifestyle, led to meaningless worship. And the Lord makes it quite clear in the Scriptures that he hates empty ritual, and he has no use for it. And to such a people, as I've just described the people of Israel, to such a people, the prophet Malachi, which means my messenger, this was his name means my messenger, brought the word of the Lord. And when I think of Malachi, I think of someone who was probably tough, and someone who probably in the sister conjecture on my part someone who probably thundered his message to get his word apart across so we hear him thundering concerning the lord that emmanuel israel was praying for he is coming suddenly then suddenly the lord you are seeking will come to his temple get ready he's coming And that word suddenly is not to be interpreted as immediately, like soon or tomorrow. Rather, we are to understand the word suddenly as meaning instantaneously, unannounced, like a thief in the night. All of a sudden, he's going to be there. And the reference to the temple was not to the physical temple, even though that's where Jesus appeared in the arms of his parents when he was only eight days old, but more specifically, The reference to the temple is to the spiritual living temple of God's people. The messenger of the covenant is a reference to Christ, to Messiah, to God himself. And not only does Jesus repair the broken covenantal relationship between God and his people, but Jesus also fulfills the Old Testament covenant. So the sense of the verse is this. The Lord you are seeking will at a certain unannounced moment arrive in your midst. The one who will fulfill the Old Testament covenant will suddenly arrive in your midst. The one you're praying for is going to come. Not unlike the, Old, the New Testament message of Jesus' return, such as we find in the letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But then, then came the shocking part of the message, at least shocking for Israel. The first part had made the people sit up and listen, but the second part was the shocker. Emmanuel was going to come and restore Israel's old-time glory. This was true. But it wasn't about to happen just like that. Because this Emmanuel whom Israel had been praying for was not one who was just going to magically with his wand say, bang, everything is good again. No, he was going to come as a judge, a judge of both his people and the nation's roundabout Bygones could not just be bygones. The people's sin and disobedience had to be accounted for. And so for many people, this prayer for the expected advent of Jesus was not going to be a happy event. This was not going to be an event that people could just casually sit back and watch happen. On the contrary, this event was going to mean purification. This was not just going to be an event in which Jesus would take everyone on his knee and ask them if they had been good or bad and then reward them with a glorious future. Judgment would take place as well as cleansing because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Look at Malachi three. Verse 2, for he'll be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He'll sit as a purifier, and a, as a refiner and a purifier of silver. Jesus was coming not to be cute for one day, not to hand all, out all sorts of goodies, not to fulfill everybody's desires and everything got in their wish list, but he was coming to cleanse, to purify, to refine. And that was going to hurt And once that process had been completed, the people of the Lord would be presented to the Lord without wrinkle or spot, holy and blameless in God's sight. That's something, of course, that was accomplished through the perfect obedience of Jesus, all accomplished by grace. But those who do not obey, who do not believe, who do not repent, who do not know the Lord Jesus will be washed away, removed, separated from God's people, and they will go, as the Bible puts it, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. Sounds horrible. Not something we want to talk about much. But it's part of the reality of this day and of Jesus coming again. It's part of the reality of what Christmas is about and of his return. The ancient temple was filled with all sorts of religious rites and prayers and chants and words. But in the days of Malachi, these were all meaningless and ineffective because they were not from the heart. You've wearied me with your words, said the Lord. I wonder sometimes what the Lord would say about how we carry on our daily lives. Who can endure the day of his coming. When, saw, when John saw Jesus on the island of Patmos, he fell at Jesus' feet as though dead. And this is what he saw. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest, His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Such is the Lord who has come, and who will come again. As we read in Revelation 22, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Indeed. We are anticipating the celebration of Christmas, and on that day we will be reminded that Jesus came as a child in the manger. And since that first Christmas, the church joins in the prayer, amen, come, Lord Jesus, But don't be casual about it. Don't let familiarity breed contempt. Christmas is the celebration of the birth of the very one who is going to come to judge the living and the dead. And so live sharply in anticipation of his coming and be prepared for he is coming again. Who can endure the day of his coming? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Only those who are his by grace will endure the day of his coming and nothing can snatch them out of his hand. There's something terrifying about Christmas. There's something terrifying about the gospel of Christmas, something that we often don't really think about. But for the believer, there's also something very comforting about Christmas and worth celebrating. One of my colleagues once said, our faith would be more vibrant and our convictions more fervent if we were more deeply impressed with the inexpressible holiness and greatness of our Savior. So come, come, let us adore him and stand in awe before him as we anticipate his coming again. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the call to repentance, for the call to be sharp, for the call to sit in anticipation and watch and wait for the day when Christ comes again. Lord, sometimes Christmas, the way we celebrate it, is all fuzz and warmth. There's something terrifying about that day. There's something awesome about that day. There's something comforting about that day. Lord, we pray that we may truly understand who Jesus is and that we may bow before him and adore him as the Lord of life. So as we move through this Advent season, we pray, O Lord, that you would lift our eyes beyond that child of Christmas to see the one who is coming again to make all things new. May we be sitting at the edge of our seat in anticipation and live sharply with the help of the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.